What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, friends. This is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 140. When I read this from my really particular context as a trans person, what insights might I uncover that non-trans people might miss? Father Shannon Kearns is a transgender man who believes in the transformative power of story. As an ordained priest, a playwright, a theologian, and a writer, all of his work revolves around making meaning through story. He's the co-founder of QueerTheology.com and the podcast Queer Theology. And his new book, In the Margins, A Transgender Man's Journey with Scripture, released last week. Shannon is a recipient of the Playwright Center Jerome Fellowship, and he was a Lambda Literary Fellow in 2019. He's a sought-after speaker on transgender issues and religion, as well as a skilled facilitator for a variety of workshops. And his work with Brian Murphy over at QueerTheology.com has reached over a million people all over the world. If you've been in this podcast space for a little while, you're probably pretty familiar with Father Shannon. I am so thrilled to have him on the show today to talk about this new book and his journey of like working with scripture as a trans man. No announcements today, so let's just go ahead and dive in. Father Shannon, hi, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. Me too. We'll start with the question I ask everyone. Uh, What are your identities and how has your faith helped form those identities? This is such a great question. So I identify as a queer transgender man. And I would say I almost have to flip the question in that my identity has formed my faith um, and not the other way around. And I'm sure that we will talk much more about (laughs) where I came from and where I am now. Um, But I think one of the gifts of transitioning has been the way that it has helped me uh, re-envision and re-understand the Christian tradition that I grew up in. It's been an unexpected gift of my transition, but one that I'm really, really thankful for. I mean, when, when you say your identity has kind of formed your faith, 
I, I mean, I'm imagining that that maybe has been something that you've moved into. I mean, would that would that be fair? Like, would you say your faith has always been kind of shaped by your identity, or was it the other way around for a while? Yeah, it's definitely been something I've moved into. Um, I would say my identity was quashed by my faith <laughs> growing up. You know, I grew up a fundamentalist evangelical um, in a rural community, and so very much my faith shaped you know, how I moved to the world and how I was allowed to understand myself. Um, but it wasn't something that was shaping the fullness of my identity uh, until I was able to, to kind of rethink faith and move away from the faith that I grew up in uh, into a more expansive Christianity. You have this new book out called In the Margins, A Transgender Man's Journey with, with Scripture. So much of that work is, it feels really explorative. Like like you're you're taking your own story, you're taking stories from scripture. I mean, you are taking your expertise in scripture and kind of weaving them together in this way that does feel really expansive. I, I would love to hear what kind of got you started on that track of of even being able to do that work of expanding this faith that you kind of grew up in? Yeah, you know, I, I feel like I've been telling stories and storytelling since I was a little kid. I, I found, I, I'm just in the process of moving and found this little book that I had written, you know, when I was seven or eight. And <laughs> and it was ridiculous. You know, it was about my bugs in my great-grandmother's bed. I don't know what happened that inspired this story. But I feel like I've always been trying to make sense of the world through telling stories. And when I was in the evangelical church of my youth, I was also, you know, I was writing a lot of drama, really bad drama, church <laughs> drama, uh, you know, religious propaganda, as I affectionately call it now. It was this sense of like trying to to make sense of who are we in the world what is, like, who's welcome in our community? Who's not welcome and why? It was really a sense of of trying to create empathy, I think, both in myself and others. And so I feel like that piece of storytelling has always been a part of my life. And it became also a way for me to make sense of the things that I was struggling with and dealing with. Because I found that if you could write it out in a drama or a play it didn't have to be about you, right? Even if it was about you. <laughs> so I found that theater became the safe space for me to ask questions that I didn't feel like I could ask to my pastor or to my Christian friends. Uh, and it also became a way for me to work out how I was grappling with questions that I was having about my own identity, but also about faith and about what salvation meant and about who was in and who was out. And and so I was doing all of that work and had been doing that for a really long time, but it wasn't until seminary that I started to do that with scripture. And I think it was because before that, I, I didn't really feel like I had permission, right? Like the text, the Bible text was the text. It was what we were taught. We were told what to believe about it. We were told what it meant. It, there wasn't ever a sense of coming to the text with curiosity or exploration, right? It was like, we come to the text to figure out what it means. And what it means is what our pastor tells us it means. And then we 
do what the text says, right? That that was what that was the relationship that I had with the Bible. And so it wasn't until I like really did a lot of work to learn how to read the Bible in historical context, in political context, um, but also started to read the work of, you know, liberation theologians and black theologians who were reading the Bible from their own context, which helped me realize that we're always, all of us, reading the Bible from a particular context. It's just that folks on the margins have learned how to name their context before they do it. And that in naming your context, it allows you to really dive into scripture with with a sense of curiosity and to say, when I read this from my really particular context as a trans person, what insights might I uncover that non-trans people might miss, right? Um, and I think that that's been such a gift. And then it was, it was, I got, I was really lucky. I went to Union Theological Seminary in New York and they had an experimental class. Um, the, the year that I had to take, we had, we, everyone had to take a preaching class and, and an exegesis class. Uh, and they had an experimental class called exegesis for the arts. And so of course I signed up for that. And the idea was that, you know, they teach you in this class how to take apart a scripture passage and put it back together to preach. But in this class, we were able to do some kind of artistic process um, as our final project instead of a sermon. And I had just started my medical transition and we were assigned the text of Doubting Thomas in John 20, I believe. And it was the first time that I felt permission to look at a text and see myself in it, right? And it it became, instead of this thing that was way out there at arm's length that I had to deal with or grapple with or figure out, it became something that I could hold really close and look at and say, where am I in this text? Is there something in here for me? And so I did this art piece that was about my medical transition uh, and then kind of spoke around it and talked about how ever since I had started my transition, I had gotten all of these questions from people, right? Questions about my body, about surgery, about scars, about my family and how, how invasive those questions were. And as I shared that, I watched what it did to my classmates and how they were grappling with with what I was sharing, but also with this text in a new way. And I thought, oh, there's something really interesting that's happening in this room and in this space. I want to do more of this. And that was the thing that really set me on this path. Um, and the thing that I found so surprising is that the more personal I got, the more you know, deeply vulnerable I got with telling my own story, but also in wrestling with these texts, the more it opened up space for other people to do the same thing. Um, and it became not about just me telling a trans reading of the text. It became an invitation for all of us to grapple with our bodies, with scars, with with all of these things that we sometimes kind of overlook in these texts. And that's been so powerful. And that's what I wanted to do in the book, right? It's a continuation of this work that I've been doing for a really long time. But it is an invitation, not just to trans folks, but to all of us to 
see how when we read through a trans lens, it actually helps all of us to encounter our own stories differently. That's so interesting because, I, you know, for some reason, this season of the show, I've had a lot of artists on the show. And this theme of kind of the the way that art was a container initially for exploring kind of themes of queerness without having to actually do it in, you know, quote unquote, like real life. But that has been like a major theme coming up in so many of these conversations. But, but I think what's really striking me about your work and some of what you're saying is like, you then kind of got to like switch out containers in some ways or add more containers in, in these places of all of a sudden scripture became this other place where you could kind of play with these things instead of be it being like a rigid kind of structure that, that kept you out. Like, like it opened up a new world for you to play with a lot of these same things that you were playing in, in other parts of your life. I mean, d- does that feel fair? Yeah, absolutely. It's, I, I mean, I would love to hear about like, I don't even have a fully formed question, but like, what, what has that opened up for you? I mean, clearly this book, but the, the, I imagine there's so much in there of, of what that has meant for you to be, to be able to play in this arena. Yeah, you know, I, I grew up in a tradition that talked about the Bible as like God's love letter to us. That was what our pastors called it all the time. Um, and I, I have to admit that growing up, I didn't really feel a lot of love in it, right? <laughs> it, it didn't feel like a love letter. It felt like, you know, an angry screed often. Um, and and I never really felt like, I never felt like I was in it, right? That, that it was always this text about these people that were, lived a really long time ago and this kind of inscrutable God that we had to be lucky if we could understand, even as we're being told that the Bible has everything that we need to understand, right? It was always that that dichotomy of really struggling. Um, you know, and I think of that great scene in Saved where Hillary Faye, um, you know, throws the Bible. And it's yes. like, you know, the love of Christ compels you or whatever. And, and, um, and, I, and I, that was like very much my experience with scripture. And I think what all of this has opened up is like, I didn't understand that scripture was always this collection of texts of, of very present and real people grappling with what it meant for them to be in relationship with one another, what it meant for them to be in relationship with God, what their relationship with God demanded of them, both communally and also to their neighbors and in the world, um, that it it was never a text that was far away, that it was always meant to be about us here and now, um, and that it, it was this text that internally argues with itself, right? Like the, the people who are writing scripture are arguing with other people who are writing scripture. Um, and they're all trying to make us make sense of their place in the world. And I feel like doing this work from a trans perspective, a queer perspective, has gotten me back to that same heart of trying to grapple with texts and to say, what is my relationship with God? What is my relationship with, with other people? What am I being called to in the world? Um, and that that can kind of continually going back to the text and digging deeper helps me to understand more about 
myself, about my place in the world, about my my calling toward justice work. And I think what has been such a gift and has been so surprising, I, th- I think for many of us who grew up in conservative traditions where we read the Bible a lot, right? We've memorized the Bible. We were Bible quizzers and <laughs> all of that ridiculousness. It can be really hard to go back into scripture and expect to see something new because we feel like we've seen it all before. But I think that this this idea of I'm going to retell this story in a new way, I'm going to grapple with this text and see where I find myself in it, forces me to pay really, really close attention when I'm reading the text and to see the things that I missed before or to see the questions that I always just glossed over and to really grapple with them. And I, so I think it's made me a more faithful reader of the text. It has definitely forced me to do much more homework because I think in the midst of all of this, I, I want to name that this isn't just like putting something on the text that's not there, right? This isn't, we're not retelling a Bible story to make it trans. We're saying, what is reading the Bible as a trans person bring out and bring to light where are the places that you know it talks about bodies in ways that trans people have understandings of bodies that other folks might not have or of scars um and so it also makes me do a lot more research because i want to make sure that whatever interpretation i'm pulling out of the text is grounded in scholarship you know as much as i thought i was a a Bible nerd before in my evangelical days, I'm much more of one now. And I think I'm a much more careful and faithful reader. Uh, And that's been such a gift, right? It's been a gift to still be finding new things in this text that I've read so many times over so many years um, and in so many different places. I've had really similar experiences with kind of reapproaching the text and, and being able to kind of dive back in and see different things or read things in different ways. And, and like, there's something almost really like fun to it <laughs> to be able yeah, to yeah. go back and be like, Oh my gosh, like I've never noticed that before. Like that changes everything if, from this kind of different lens that I'm approaching it with. But, but I think what it, I mean, what it took for, for me to be able to do that, and I wonder if I'm hearing some of this in, in your story as well, is like, like almost like the pressure has to come off. Like, like we have to, like getting rid of this idea of there is a right way to read this text. Yep. And moving into, uh, there is a wide variety of ways to read this text. And I get to be imaginative. I get to play. I get to throw things out. I get to be wrong. I get to research. Like it, it's it's a much different approach than just kind of sitting down reading and saying, here's what it says. Yeah, I think that that idea of taking the pressure off is huge, right? Because when we stop worrying about, did I get the one exact right way to read this verse? Then we can start to say, okay, well, what what might it mean? What... What might it have meant then? How might people who heard it have understood it then? And also, like, how does that change? Or how is that the same as the way we're reading it or understanding it today? How does that apply differently or in a new context? Um, and it, you're right, it opens up so many other ways to 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 get in there and 
and play and learn and grow. You know, Rob Bell in his book, What is the Bible, talks about turning the gem, right? That, that you just, you keep turning the gem and, and looking for different ways that the light refracts. And I think that that's such a beautiful, um, it's such a beautiful image. And it's also the heart of what you do to study the Bible faithfully, right? Like you get in there and you just keep turning it. Um, one of the exercises that we give to people in Queer Theology's Querying the Bible course is to just sit with a text and just ask questions and don't answer them. Just go through a Bible story and just write down all of your questions and do that like every day for a week. And part of that process is like, don't assume that you know any of the answers, right? So one of the questions could be, who is Jesus? <laughs> and and I think that that kind of playfulness allows you then to be like, what else might I not know about this text? Or what might I be bringing to the text that I assume is true because I was told it at one point um, that I might need to reconsider? And when you start to do that, I think it allows you to to really open up to different interpretations, to different ways of seeing, and again, to what you what you might have missed or misunderstood. I mean, this is such a different approach from, and you know, you like you you make this distinction at the kind of the beginning of your book uh, between kind of the, the I guess like almost classical ways that like queer theology or queer and scripture Christianity whatever have been like joined together in the past. Like there's there's that place of defensiveness yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah like figuring out like i am okay and here's why um and then there's like there's the academic side um that is inaccessible for a lot of people and i mean i think what you're describing here is very 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 different from that kind of defensive going to people trying to prove our worthiness trying to prove the reality that like we can be queer and christian or like whatever um this feels much more deliberative. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I think that those those defensive books absolutely have their place, right? They're they're super, super helpful. I think part of my concern is that often folks from marginalized communities are only allowed to write the defensive books right? We get stuck in this place where we're only allowed to write the 101 book. We're only allowed to write the intro to trans identity book. And so I really wanted to push back on this idea that we needed another defensive book, because I think that the people who've done the, you know, Justin Tannis, Austin Hartke, to name a couple, have done such incredible and faithful work. I wanted to build off of that instead of reiterating it, right? Because they already did the work. So I just want to point people to them and be like, if if that's what you need, those are the books to read. But I think that the, the reason we often get stuck in the 101, partially is because there's always new people coming out who need that work. But the other part is that, you know, it really serves the people who are in power, because if they can keep us constantly explaining and defending, then they also keep us from doing the next phase of the work and building and creating liberation, not just for ourselves, but for other people. And so I really wanted to write a book that didn't explain 
gender identity. And in some ways it does because I'm telling my own story of coming to terms with my identity. But I also was like, we're going to put a glossary in this book and we are not going to explain text terms in the text because as a trans person, if I have to read one more book that like stops the text to explain what transgender means, I'm going to lose it, right? Because <laughs> then it clearly becomes a book that's not for me. Um, and so I really wanted this to be, it is a book for trans folks that I, I hope that they see their own stories reflected in it. And even more than that, I hope that this book gives them permission to do the same things and the same work that I'm doing with their own stories and their own unique identities. And I also feel like non-trans folks can do a little bit of the catch-up work, right? They can flip to the back and use the glossary if they need it. And I think the other piece of that I was really hoping with this book is that it it's not just a book about understanding what it means to be trans or gaining empathy for trans people. It's really showing that trans folks have so much to offer the church and the world and non-trans people. And that if folks will listen, like it will become this liberating space for all of us to, to unhook ourselves from all of the negative messages that we have around bodies and binaries and gender expectations and all of these things that do damage to all of us, not just to trans people. Um, and so I hope that that comes through for people too, that this isn't just a book about better understanding trans identity. This is this is a book about better understanding ourselves as, as people and as humans um, through a trans lens. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We have so much to offer to the world. Not just like the queer world. Not just the LGBT world. The ways that we approach scripture, the ways that we approach life can open up doors for many more people than just us. And I think this is something that I continue to kind of wrestle with, like, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts about, like, 
that that reality that like anytime we put it seems like kind of a label on what we're doing like like even like your subtitle a transgender man's journey with scripture like that that feels like it almost pigeonholes us into something like where it's really important to name the particularity like we can't not do that and it also limits that expansiveness D- does that even make sense it does i i think though the limit comes from the assumption that we can only learn from people who are like us and and also from the assumption that there is a normative space to be standing right that 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 all of us i let me restart that i i think that there's this idea right that you know there's theology which is usually done by white straight cis men um, and then there's all of these kind of identity politic theologies, black theology, womanist theology, and this idea that there can be one objective space to speak about anything from, which I think always then defaults to white, straight, cisgender man. And so I think that part of part of what we have to do is push back on this idea that there that there is a place without particulars, right? Because all of us, anytime we're speaking, are speaking from our own particular space and experience. And what I would rather see happen is more people name their particulars and where they're speaking from. Because then that allows us to say, oh, well, because you're speaking from this space, you are missing all of this other, all of this other stuff because, because you're not in that space. And these people are, and so like, why don't you listen to them talk about things from their space, and then we see what we might learn from that. Um, and so this idea that you know, the only people that have something to learn from trans theology are trans folks, or the only people that have something to learn from Black theology or Black folks, are is just not true. And that's the thing I think I want to push back so hard on, because, you know, I I often hear people talk about. I just want to be in a world where we don't need labels anymore, right? We're all just human. And it's always a really, really good-hearted, kind, usually white person who is really trying, right? They want to be a good ally. They want to be in solidarity. Um, and they just think that the way to do that is for all of us to just be, quote-unquote, human. And... What I always say to them in those moments is, yeah, but I've had to really fight for my identities. And my identities not only have shaped how I got to where I am today, but they continue to shape how I move through the world. So we can't all be human until we really grapple with the ways in which there is systems of oppression that make it harder for trans folks to move through the world. Um and also that that in celebrating all of our labels, we bring to the table all of the different ways that we approach life and move through the world and can we can learn from that. And so I think instead of saying that we're being pigeonholed, I, I want to encourage folks to instead like lean in to all of these particularities so that then we get a fuller picture of what it means to be human of what it means to be in the world right now, and also so that we get a fuller picture of where injustice is happening 
so that we can interrupt it and that we can make the world safer for all people to move through. I mean, the, the, there's this this other aspect. So, I mean, we're talking so much about kind of finding our story, finding a story within another story, like reading the scripture kind of with our lenses on and fully acknowledging them. But another really massive part of your work is writing other stories. You're a playwright. Like, I, I would love to hear about that side of your life. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've been playwriting for um, well since I was in college, and then and took time off, and then started up again um, about six or seven years ago. And I really love theater. Um, I I, re- I started a theater company in Minneapolis when I was living there, and the idea was that we were going to do social justice theater that didn't suck. That was kind of our unofficial tagline, <laughs> and I tried to really not put any religion into my place because I I already knew we were doing social justice theater, which historically has a reputation for being bad or really preachy. Um, and I thought, man, if, if I put religion in it, just no one's going to come. And yet religion kept like leaking out in my place. And so finally I was like, you know, I just need to embrace this uh, and grapple with the fact that religion is going to come out in my stuff. But I think that when I started the theater company, I was like, great, this is going to be this other thing that I'm going to do that's not going to be church work. It's going to be an artistic endeavor. And I very quickly realized that it's it's exactly the same as church, right? It's pastoral <laughs> care. It's storytelling. Um, it's bodies in a room that meet on a certain time for an experience that only happens once, right? There's something so powerful in theater about physical bodies in space together where we are breathing and laughing and crying together. Uh, and there is there is a ritual to it, just like there is at church. Um, and so for me, it became like, oh, this is just another space to do the same thing, the same impulse of trying to figure out what it means to be human, trying to figure out what it means to care for one another uh, and to support one another. And I I will say that playwriting has been um, also an exercise for me in trying to understand people that don't think the same way I do and to have empathy for them. Um, I think one of the reasons that social justice theater is often considered bad or like preaching to the choir is that folks shy away from fully inhabiting the quote unquote villains in their play, right? The people, whoever the bad guy is, the one that's doing the injustice, the one who does the fault so we get up there and you can tell, right? It's not it's not the actual argument that we would have if we were real people, complicated, complex people um, having this. And so, so that's something that I've really tried to lean into is if I've got someone in my play who is the person that I don't agree with, I want to give them the best argument that I've got, right? That I, I want an audience... If someone came to see the show who was represented by that person, I want them to walk out and feel like they were well represented on stage, which 
also means that there are certain characters, right, that I won't write. And there are certain stories that I won't write about because I don't think that we need to have empathy <laughs> for that, right? And so that's been something that I've been really grappling with over the last couple of years of, of how do I do this work well? Um, how do I do it with integrity? Um, but also, you know, it's the question of what stories are mine to tell and and where can empathy be built and where where are the moments where we just need to say no, like, we don't have to understand that just can't happen anymore because that's harmful. Um, and, and so that's been a, I think that's been an increasingly fraught and complicated and important question that I've been wrestling with as our country gets more polarized and as things get um, so much more dangerous for marginalized communities. That, I mean, that, that is such a huge question. Like, like <laughs> I'm sitting yeah. here being like, oh my, like, <laughs> and, and to, in, in some ways you're, I mean, you're choosing what you're going to embody as you write. I mean, does, does that feel fair? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so that, that question of what you're even kind of letting into your body to be able to get that character right, which is a choice. Yeah. Like you're taking on something that can be harmful and you're kind of willingly choosing to do that in order to move a story forward. I'm I'm curious, like what are, what are you learning as you continue to kind of negotiate with that line? Like what, what have you found about yourself? Well, I've definitely found that I need really strong support systems. Um, when I wrote my first play um, kind of as an adult, I did not have, I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know what it was going to do to me. And there were moments where I was like, oh, I've gone so deep into this. I'm not sure I can surface again. Um, and so I very intentionally put a team of people in place before I wrote my next play where I was like, I just, I need, if at some point this gets too hard, I need to be able to call on you so that you can help me surface. Um, and I think I've gotten a lot better the more I've done it about, you know, putting those parameters in place to protect myself, whether that's a friend I can call, whether that's, you know, a ritual before I start writing and one to get me out of writing, going to different places, right? I had to really put some practices in place to protect myself. I think, too, I am also more and more aware of the stories that are not mine to tell. And I think that that's actually a really good thing to be able to say, I can't do this story justice and I probably shouldn't try. But then the, the responsibility for me becomes, okay, who can do the story justice and how can we give them, get them access to the places and the tools that they need to do the work so that it's being done well. You know, there's a huge, there's huge barriers to access for trans folks in the arts, um, in, in the world, but in the arts in particular. And part of my work with Uprising, um, which unfortunately did not make it through the pandemic, but part of my work there was to say, okay, where are these barriers and what can we do to address them and how can we be helping 
theaters with bigger budgets who have more staff, you know, be more thoughtful about how they're involving and including trans folks, not just on stage, but in the writing of pieces behind the scenes, um, getting them the training that they need. And so I think that 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 piece too is, you know, there's a lot of conversation in the arts, I think in the world in general about who can tell what stories and who can act what stories and, and all of those things. And for me, the question is less about, you know, can you do it? Uh, and more like, should you? <laughs> and what's the benefit, right? It's it's going to be much more beneficial if we if we get access and experience and stories into the into the hands and the mouths and the bodies of people that have lived those stories and experiences. It's going to be better for all of us, right? And so uh, that that continues to be part of my work in the arts to say like this is the story that's mine to tell. This is the story that I can tell well. I want to create opportunities and open doors and make sure that that other folks from other marginalized communities are are having the same access and space and frankly even more access to tell their their stories in the ways that feel best to them well like the word that keeps coming to mind is is truth telling and or the phrase and that that sense of maybe i could tell this story but would it be and true is going to be really relative, but would it be quote unquote true? And and what would maybe be true were if it came from someone who who is who has lived that experience? And I mean, I feel like that. I I don't know that I want to tie this back to the scripture conversation, but it's where my mind is going. <laughs> and, and um, like the, those places of stepping into scripture and and the work that you're doing and kind of modeling for us as queer folks of what are the truer stories that we can, that we have access to that we can tell that was being reflected by this text that that maybe others don't have access to in the same way that we do. Um, Do we get to tell those stories too? I think that, that you're exactly right. And to, to tie it back to the scripture conversation, because for many of us, we, we're raised to read scripture where we're the hero in every passage. And the reality is that often we're not, right? That, right, right? that, you know, we're more often than not, if you're reading from an American context, you're Rome. You are not Jesus and the disciples. Um, and so knowing that, though, helps you, I think, to go into the text and and see, okay, well, if I'm Rome, then then what what is the message for me? Like maybe the message for me isn't, you know, to tell someone to turn the other cheek. It's to be the one to like stop slapping them, right? It's so so I think it's grappling with these things of, and again, this goes back to the knowing the particulars of where you're coming from. I think helps you to read the text more faithfully. And and so I, I do think that, you know, when someone from a marginalized community, and we saw this when liberation theology was was first, you know, being written and shared that folks who are poor read the gospels really, really differently. Um, and that 
they open up a new understanding of these texts. And I think it becomes uncomfortable sometimes because we're used to reading ourselves as the heroes in every story. And, and, you know, that's pop culture too, right? Like we're meant to identify with, with Luke Skywalker, um, not with Darth Vader, right? We're meant to identify with always the hero. We're on the hero's journey. And I think that faithful, faithful storytelling, faithful scripture retelling forces us to really grapple with like, who are we in this story? Where are the places where we might be the villain? What do we have to learn from that? And that's, you know, that's not meant to pile more guilt on people, but it is meant to to help us name where we might not be seeing clearly um, and where we might be able to change our behavior to to be more just or to take better care of the people around us. Well, I'm, I'm even thinking about what you were talking about with kind of em- embodying the the villain, so to speak, as as you're writing a play, and I'm, I'm thinking about like even that approach to reading scripture of of I mean, what it looks like to I mean, not only step into these places of, of wondering like, well, where am I maybe the villain in this story, but also like what it looks like to approach passages that feel like are vilifying us and, and what that kind of approach of letting it in and then working with it instead of again, kind of not, again, not that defensiveness is bad. I, I think there's a huge place for defensiveness, but like th- that's a different approach than kind of the, well, that just doesn't mean that. Right. And I think that there's, um, and I get it right. The, the Bible has been used to do such harm to so yes. many people Right. And so I I I want to say that like if you're feeling if you're listening and you're feeling like I cannot I cannot do this work right now. That is okay. Like you you don't have to. I think it takes it, it takes a lot of work to get to the place where you can go back to particularly harmful passages and let them in in order to do any kind of work with them. But I do think that you know we have to grapple with the stuff that's there, that it's it's actually more helpful to really wrestle with it than it is to say, oh, we're just not going to pay attention to that passage or that verse doesn't mean what it's been said to mean. And it might not, right? Like one way out of that might be, this verse does not mean what has been used against me. Uh, but I think that we we can't just dismiss parts that are in the Bible that we're uncomfortable with. I, I do think that we have to grapple with them. And I think that part of that grappling is saying, what why why did someone include this? What might it have meant? What prejudices might they have had that caused them to write this thing? And so what we might end up doing is saying, yeah, that that made it into scripture, but that does not square with the heart of God that we are seeing in all of these other places, right? For me, it's very much we have to read scripture as this collection of texts and and that we have to grapple with all of it. We can't just kind of take things out of context um, or or discard 
parts because all of it is there for a reason, even if the reason is a bigoted community wanted it in, right? <laughs> and I think that that's, it's okay to name that, that like, oh yeah, there's some stuff in here that, you know, is kind of horrifying and and it served a purpose in that community. And we can also look at that and say, you know, this doesn't, this doesn't serve anymore. And so what we see overarching is this justice of God, right? The heart of God is for the most marginalized and and toward justice. So what what points us toward that? What pulls us away from it? Uh, and how do we how do we square these things? Shannon, what's your favorite way for people to be able to find your book and your work? Folks can get the book anywhere, um, anywhere that's convenient for them. Obviously, I love it for people to support indie bookstores. Um, but you know, wherever wherever the book is, and then I am on the interwebs everywhere as at Shannon TL Kearns. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and sometimes TikTok. I'm not very good at TikTok, but I'm there. <laughs> I'm it. trying. <laughs> I don't know. I'm either one of those elder millennials or young Gen Zs who I'm, I'm about at my limit of what new social media I can learn, but so real. <laughs> That's brave of you. I, I've not ventured into the TikTok world. I mean, I watch them, but that's it. <laughs> yeah, I am just like, I am not funny in that right. way. And I'm also like not, I'm not, sh- I can't be, I can't do the short and quippy right. um, as as this entire conversation has shown. It's really hard for me to do anything in 20 seconds or less. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me. This has been lovely. Oh, my pleasure. Be sure to go grab a copy of Shannon's new book, In the Margins, A Transgender Man's Journey with Scripture. You can find him across social media at Shannon T.L. Kearns and check out the work he's doing over at Queer Theology. He and Brian are doing incredible things over there. Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is made possible because of you. To find out how you can help keep Queerology on the air by becoming an active listener, head over to patreon.com slash Matthias Roberts. A really easy way to support the show is by leaving a rating and a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the show or just want to say hi, reach out. And until next time, y'all, bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.